Hello, everybody. My name is Jeffrey Winter, and welcome to our Queer Cinema Podcast. We don't actually have a title for this thing yet, although I will tell you that we had initially discussed the title Fairy Tales, and I happen to love that. But we looked on, on Spotify or whatever it is, and lo and behold, surprise, surprise, there are many podcasts about fairy tales, and we are a very specific <laughs> kind of fairy tales. And Jared thinks if moms look for fairy tales and they find ours, they're going to be upset. I think there are probably a few moms. If bad moms look for fairy tales and find us, they will be upset. But we don't <laughs> we don't want obstacles to people discovering us. So right. <laughs> what if we call it fairy tales, but T-A-I-L-S? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> All right, so, and so who we are, my name is Jeffrey Winter. I am a co-executive director of the Film Collaborative. Film Collaborative is a 501 C3 nonprofit working in independent film distribution. And we do lots and lots of queer film. And I have been working in this space since the days we started calling it the new queer cinema in the early 90s. In fact, the first thing I ever did in the film business, I created something called the 99 Cent Queer Video Fest in San Francisco. And that was like, oh, yikes, you're calling it queer. <laughs> and I guess from there, since I did that in San Francisco, Allegra, you're still there. I, I, My next thing is I worked for Frameline. And I can't believe, I am so bummed that we'd never cross paths there. I would be so fun to work with you. Uh, I'm, a work directly with you. I'm Allegra Madsen. I'm the director of programming at Frameline, the San Francisco uh, International LGBTQ plus uh, film festival. Kathleen? I'm Kathleen Mullen. I am the festival director of the Seattle Queer Film Festival and have been involved in uh, curating queer cinema since, the early 90s as well. James. Uh, and I'm James Addo. I um, have been involved in the queer film world since the late 90s, early 2000s. Kathleen and I worked in Boston at the Boston LGBTQ plus film festival for years before I took it on and became the director. Uh, I teach film uh, history and film theory at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and at Leslie College of Art and Design. And uh, we just founded a new nonprofit called the Queer Film Institute, which will be producing Wicked Queer and a couple other new festivals here in Boston. So, and did everybody hear? He says Nadeau. I knew him for many years as Nadeau, and then all of a sudden it got very French. Um, <laughs> Jared? <laughs> I'm Jared Vincenti. Um, I, since only the mid 2010s, um, have been a Queer filmmaker, a programmer for Wicked Queer, and I'm currently uh, serving on the board with James at the Queer Film Institute, um, trying to make the world better for queer filmmakers, audiences, and programmers. Awesome. And uh, let's jump in because we all dedicate our lives to some degree to queer cinema, its history, its future. And I guess we wanted to do this now because I think we're at a pretty unique moment um, I want to say that earlier this year, I was despairing. I was completely sure that the economics and the social climate were such that queer film would go away. We would become marginalized to where it was, you know, everywhere, queer characters everywhere, but the thing called queer cinema would seek, would sort of um, cease to exist. Uh, we can talk about what that means, but I don't think that's the case at all. So I think we're actually at a moment here in October 2022, is that the year? <laughs> where we have more queer cinema hitting the screens, big, small, TikTok to silver screen uh, than we could have ever imagined at any other time in our life. Um, I'm just gonna quickly read some titles and then talk about why the fuck we think that's happening. Are we saying fuck in this thing? I guess we are. Uh, we have films like Bros, The Inspection, My Policeman, Fire Island, Tar, Spoiler, Sandman, Into the Vampire, blah, 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 Anything's Possible, Heartstoppers, A League of Their Own. We can go on and on and on. 
So I don't know, why do we think that's happening? And how do we choose which order? I don't know. Allegra, you start. As, since oh, I'm no. <laughs> no. Don't make me start. Um, I. Why is it happening right now? Um, there, I, I have no idea why this is happening right now, but it's something that I think we've been asking for for a very long time. And um, we've been looking for representation and asking and demanding for it. We've created, uh, we are all somewhat connected to identity, queer identity-based festivals and we've built a market for it. And so it's, it's kind of amazing to be recognized right now, but it's also incredibly scary because I think a lot rides on it. And it's a very strange time for film in general. And to have what seems to be a very big risk like this right now seems kind of in, uh, terrifying. Like if, if this doesn't go well, is this our one our one <laughs> shot to be to be um, to be counted among the, the 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 big budget movies? I mean, that's amazing because scary is the word that I'd relate to everything related to film right now. <laughs> and again, we've gone from this perception I had where we'd, we'd have none to tons. So clearly that is a scary ecosystem where we're, we're working in. Why, you know, there's a reason why we might have none. So I'm totally agreeing with you on that. Kathy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it is an explosion. And I do sometimes think that like the pandemic may have affected that because I noticed that like queer festivals pivoted, like they knew what to do. They knew how to keep going and to go online. And like all the queer festivals I know have survived the pandemic and and are actually in some ways yes there's been some economic difficulties but in some ways are still thriving there's been a resilience and i and i think that that actually has something to do with this explosion right now that there's been this resilience of like pushing like queer people kind of pushing through to be like you know having their voices heard and being at the table um and i think that that is the sort of I think for me, obviously, these films were in production, be you know, before and during the pandemic and everything. But the thing is, is that there's this resilience and TV shows, but there's a resilience to have our voices heard. And so to me, that that resilience is going to continue. That's awesome. And, you know, yeah. We're the survivor types. Uh, and uh, so, Jared, all of us have some sort of economic... Uh, incentive or economic stake in queer cinema. We should acknowledge that. Jared, you don't right now have too much economic stake. So and you're and you're you're very much of a consumer. Where do you come from at that? I'm I I I hate to have my answer to the first question establish me as the the cynic of the group, but I, <laughs> I think that um I think the answer is is pretty simple. This explosion of queer content is really not an explosion of independent queer content. So we've seen that happen many, many times over history, but this is queer content financed by really the big six. It's Amazon, it's Universal, it's Comcast. Um, and I think that this is as much a reflection of like corporate politics in the contemporary world as it is about cinema. Why do banks have uh, floats in pride parades? There really aren't enough queer people for it to be a great return on investment for advertising, but it's great reputation laundering for for corporations and it helps them with recruiting because it helps them position and say look, we care about the world we care about community like you want to work for us straight people who value gay people, which is kind of the educated professional class. So I think that there's probably a certain calculation that's like, yeah, we can afford to lose a certain amount of money <laughs> on gay movies to keep this reputation. And in that case, like maybe the stakes are lower because it's not like they're really expecting this to succeed and make bank. I think this is, you know, corporate savviness at, you know, a really fraught point in our culture wars is for a long time, corporations really were kind of like, look, we don't take sides in anything. And I think, maybe accelerated by the pandemic, the racial unrest of 2020, like 
corporations are now more taking a side in culture wars. And I think this is probably a reflection of them trying to telegraph their values than it is like an authentic upwelling of, of queer work. Amazing. Yes, yeah, so I've been feeling like a political football ever since the gay marriage debate started. I was like, I don't think we're actually talking about gay marriage. I think we're just talking about being a, a, a block that people can vote on. Uh, James, what do, you, what do you think? You're not probably as cynical as he is. <laughs> well, I mean, I <laughs> my cat obviously has an opinion here. Uh, I always try to think about this in, in the frame of history and, you know, these sort of waves we get culturally on censorship. Um, right now in my class, we're in the midst of the 1930s and the Great Depression. And there are many sort of cultural similarities between that time period and ours where huge financial disparity between people, um, Hollywood making these sort of fluffy films, although people are struggling and that's, I mean, it's not quite the Great Depression, but I, I feel like it's, and I keep like, cause I just watch bros. So now that's like in the forefront of my brain <laughs> and I don't want to make this the segue. Um, but in many ways there's, I feel like in times of like extreme kind of cultural angst, um, we go to these kinds of films like the romantic comedy, which sort of offers up this sort of, you know, idealized kind of world that lets us escape from like the real bullshit that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, and, I, and I feel like maybe this is a tangent <laughs> jumping from, you know, <clears throat> this current state of queer film, but I feel like to, to think about what bros represents um, for contemporary queer culture, because there was, a, I mean, I have a lot of very sort of mixed feelings about it. And I know we, I don't want to dominate the conversation about this film, but I feel like maybe, maybe that's <laughs> my segue to talk about bros and that it's like, there was a lot going on in that film that says, uh, it specifically about, I was going to say about cis white gay male culture, but in a way that, and how that kind of tries to sort of track with the greater LGBTQ plus culture. Like there's a many sort of moments in the film. Um, anyway, I'm going to I'll stop there because I feel like I'm kind of rambling about it, but I want to throw that out there if this is a good segue. <laughs> It was an awesome segue because I just want to say that there's one thing, there's a ton of representation. And I certainly think we've gotten to the place where queer representation on screen, I don't think anybody thinks there's, there's a great lack of it. Um, but is there good cinema? So I keep thinking, okay, I, but do we actually have good movies? And I don't have a simple answer for that. So I want to say so we can get more specific. In 2022, or just right before that, it's fine. But can I can I interject real quickly? And in, in like, I mean, what do we what do we want to say about what do we think is um, like what we would say is a is a, an amazing queer film? Like, I mean, we we you ask everybody in this here, we all have five different answers. But I think feel like there's sort of an aesthetic because we're all sort of also professionals in this world where there's a certain expectation of what we think is. The, like a quintessential queer either like we all know there's going to be that queer film that we're like holy shit this is going to go beyond our community and become a film a film that well I that's what I, what I what i want to ask is did anybody see anything recently that we can start off with that they actually loved that they thought was a great movie a great cinema anything that you want to say i loved this in 2022 or or are we besieged like Allegra, did you have you loved anything? And I know, by the way, this is deeply <laughs> fraught because let's be clear, all of us represent many queer movies and show many queer movies. So it's probably not acceptable to say I loved nothing, but what did you love? <laughs> I uh in in the festival, I love all the babies the same. I love them <laughs> all. Uh no, I um I actually really, I just saw Tar and I, I really loved it. I really feel like that is a, a, a true cinematic experience going, like that's something that I feel people need to be in cinema for. Um, I, I, I'm gonna, I liked Mars One mm -hmm. uh, and Three Tidy yeah. Tigers, Tied a Tie Tighter, because they kind of, for me, represented, I mean, I, I, both of them are, I think we they could 
they have issues, but I think they sort of represented the the heart of sort of indie cinema that I kind of grew up in and loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I enjoyed and had a good time with bodies, bodies, bodies. Mm, nice. Just a weirdo, <laughs> fun time. No, super interesting. Jared, what'd you love? So um, I've been a bad queer cinema goer in that I'm not programming this year and I haven't made it to a single queer film festival in 2022. Uh, What I loved and what probably is on the borderline of being a queer film is everything everywhere and all at once, which I actually saw in theaters twice because I just was blown away by the the craft of it. Um, You know, not made by queer people, but queer main character whose journey is, I think, like really central to the story, but just an amazing, amazing piece of work. I think I told probably 30 or 40 people to go see it. I mean, that's amazing because I think we can have the discussion of what is queer cinema and that's important to all of us, but I think everything everywhere all at once, the central conflict in there going is a queer story. I feel like in a way it's a prop made by straight people and stuff. I don't know if the girl, but it's super interesting and definitely a great movie. So we're even making the prop stages of the great movies. <laughs> Look, <laughs> it's way better than just being like, you know, the queer doctor on a Shonda Rhimes show. Like representation itself has like very, like even when it's just representation, like there are degrees of better and best. Yeah, and it wasn't just representation, right? It's a central queer issue coming out to mom. So, yeah. <laughs> Kathleen, so that's awesome. Kathleen, what did you love? Uh, well, I wish I had seen Tar because I'm dying to, <laughs> can't wait to see that one. Um, but, uh, well, what I, I, well, I mean, I what I kind of have loved in the festival circuit this year, I'll talk about that first is, um, is uh, like, I really like more, I liked Mars One. I like um, Unidentified Objects. I felt that that, mm-hmm. Um, has uh, that the director has real um, has quite a voice um, in cinema and and I think and I think he'll go on to do some things I really liked El Hub and um, Utopia I think is hilarious and and over the top and very very funny and and uh, so I really like Scout Durward of what she's trying to do a little bit narcissistic but also kind of interesting too but I like that, that that it's a one woman show, um, you know, and then, I mean, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I know was in 2021, but like, that's only a couple of years ago. And I think it's, and like, for me, that's like an incredible, incredible film. Um, what else have I liked? Um, yeah, I mean, those are sort of just a few uh, that I have seen that I have enjoyed. So, yeah. James, what about you? And then I'm going to switch topic. Um, I have, I'm a terrible, terrible only because I teach so much. I, I only <laughs> tend to watch the films I have to teach in my class lately, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I just watched His Girl Friday again. I really, really <laughs> like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I just want to say that I think it's totally fair here to say that I am mostly enjoying how much great queer content there is streaming on TV. Oh, I yeah. mean, yeah. Sand, Sandman is ex- <laughs> the amount of representation and the, the variety of representation and the fact that the queer people are just in every level and everything. Yeah. It's cool. So I also think that we are so lucky as consumers to have what there is on you know tv um although it makes it hard for us an independent film in a lot of ways but let me ask you let me get to the serious question here for a second why do we care (laughs) i think as long as we're starting this podcast why do we care besides the fact that we all work at this allegra what is why why should people care about this topic um I can't speak to why other people <laughs> should care, but I care because, it, it, yeah, there it's the industry that I'm in. But also, um, you know, I, I kind of alluded to this before, but I, I came up in sort of the golden age of indie cinema. And I just would have this feeling of discovering something as I was kind of discovering who I was as well. And um, I, I think that's really an important thing to offer people 
And I also feel that as you know, in our roles as curators, and often I don't think film programmers get thought of as curators, we are shaping this art form. And um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, I think film is a powerful art form and film is a, a, a great way to um, learn about some, something else or see something from another perspective or all of these things. And, and um, I, I think it's, a, it, I think we are in incredibly powerful positions. And um, I think it's just really profoundly important that these stories are out in the world and available and that we support queer art artists and um yeah that we shape the, that we have that we as queer people uh are shaping this this conversation yeah i just want to say personally because i'm mostly playing moderator here i know for myself as you know, someone in my 50s now in the 80s when i was personally suicidal over feeling like i couldn't possibly exist in society and thinking that being gay was something that you just couldn't be. And um, I know I did not see a place in the world and I was very literal about that. I do not see a place in the world for myself, therefore I should kill myself. <laughs> and and um, I know early movies like, for me uh, personally, movies like Amadovar's Law of Desire, Parting Glances, these kinds of classics of the time were the first times I ever saw something that reminded myself of my of myself and um you know so queer cinema was probably the closest thing to saving my life besides all the fabulous friends and lovers and everything politics and everything else we all did um but i just want to say that for me and i think this is important in this context Queer cinema is more important to me about talking to each other and figuring out who we are um, because we're still in that process of figuring out what it means to be a queer person in the world. I know we have no, you know, generations in the past as much examples or, you know, terrible plagues and all that. So I think it's important that, like, we don't forget that. I, I don't think we necessarily are talking talking to straight people about trying to convince them that we're okay or <laughs> that's what I mean is, you know that, like I think that's kind of the central problem that Jared started to to bring up earlier is like with these big budget films like bros I mean you know the uh, another segue here uh like like bros and this content that's being produced by the big six the com they're changing the conversation mm. it becomes a conversation with well will straight people want to see this and and it becomes less a conversation amongst ourselves and that's awesome so yeah we're definitely going to switch to bros in a second but let's give everybody a why we <laughs> yeah i'm sorry let's give everybody a why we care answer jared why do you care um, why do I care? I think, um, you know, like the, to, to go back to film school, like I think the fundamental idea of film criticism and film theory as an art is that you learn something about a culture by the art products it produces. And the queer experience is essential to the human experience. We, you, you can't have humanity without queer people. Um, but we live in a place where there are forces that actively try to remove us from that story. Um, and so we need to have queer cinema as a counterforce, as, you know, stewards of our of our people's history and as people who preserve our our culture's art for future generations. God, you're all so deep. I love it. Um, <laughs> Kathleen, why do you care? I care because I want I want us to be able to like to tell our stories and even like for example like okay the corporations and la 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 and that all like it, it's very like I care I don't want like pink washing obviously but you know like bros is made by a gay man like okay you know like it's produced by him it's made by him it's like his voice in it, I would say. Um, he acts in it, <laughs> whatever. But like the thing is, is I want us to be able to tell our stories. And and I think that 
who, you know, and who gets to tell the stories and all of those things. But I mean, for me, I do this because I want to support um, our realities and our many realities because they're like not all the same internationally. Um, and I just think about how important it is, um, you know, for someone from South Africa who's dealing with something that I, I'm not dealing with, but who's dealing with something in South Africa and persecution to be able to have be given a camera and be given like an opportunity to tell to to tell their reality and i just i mean so you can go from from you know stories international stories and then also you know bring it back to also you know how what queer and trans people are dealing with in in the US, which is really hard, like right now, you know, and, and then the fact that they might come across a film, you know, in the mainstream, I, for me, it doesn't matter how it gets made. It's just the fact that it actually exists. Like it actually exists, and people and 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 a kid can go see it somehow. So I'm kind of rambling all over the place, but my main thing is just a sort of that supporting of community and queer voices. And also I like truly believe in a queer culture. Like we are, there is a queer culture and, and that, and for me, film is part of that queer culture. Awesome. James. <laughs> I I I agree and wholeheartedly um, believe in what everybody everything everybody else has said. I think the one thing um, I always go back to from the Vita Russo um, mm. is that the ability to see yourself, like film, film has become the repository and the representation of us as people, and the ability to see yourself. To, to, to see part of yourself, to see a story that was, that speaks to you is huge. And, you know, for, for 90% of the history of film, you know, queer people were not part of that. Although, you know, if you dig deep enough, we're there, <laughs> we're, we're sort of buried in, in, in it. Um, but, you know, it's how we see ourselves. It's how we see, you know, how we see culture. And, you know, if we're not part of that visual experience, then, you know, you don't think you exist. And it's hugely, vitally important to have that representation. I just want to also add that, I mean, maybe I'm selfish, but when I sit down and I just want to watch something, I also enjoy it more if it's a queer film. (laughs) Okay, so I relate. And especially if it's there's no queer representation, I feel shut out. Right. I just don't enjoy it. So on that topic of whether you saw yourself in screen, I'm going to use that as a way to um, switch to bros for a second because I, I'm sort of mixed. Um, bros, thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm going to say adorable. He's uh, he's super smart. God, he's smart. Um, I hate rom-coms. Too simple. Like, it's... Uh, you got to come from that culture, but you know, generally a great accomplishment. It's, it's uh, probably sad that it's under such a microscope. Um, but um, I'm going to say thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a question for the group because yeah. <laughs> I am not a huge consumer of romantic comedies as a genre. Um, I am. <laughs> and so I was like, why are there so many montages? I was like, seriously? It's like the fourth montage. Oh, well, montages, like, yeah. Now we're going shopping. Montage. Now... <laughs> okay, now who wants to defend the rom-com? Allegra, you have any rom-com in you? Uh, no, not a not a. <laughs> okay, Kathleen, you started. So No, I have a feeling Jared is very, I know you're, you have like a Douglas Sirk side to you jared you go you defend bros as a piece of cinema for us again i said thumbs up start am, am, am i am i defending am i defending bros or am i defending the rom-com you're defending your experience with that film let's do that um from a, I, tell us about rom-coms please why why rom-coms well look Douglas, douglas sirk like they all ended suicide like it's it's not really 
the calm is missing. Um, look, genre is just a promise to the audience, right? Like when you set something up as a rom-com, all it is promising is that they will be together happy at the end. And like, yes, that cuts off paths of storytelling and yes, it reduces tension, but like, you know that they'll go off into the sunset at the end of a Western and it doesn't prevent you from enjoying it. So I think like being snobby about genre is, you know, um, is not part of my wheelhouse. Uh, I'll see. I'll see anything. I don't know. Like I'm like saying, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying this is like a pejorative. I was just like, I just don't know it well enough to be like, oh, is this is this the expectation? Uh, like I know teen movies. Like I was just like, oh, I guess that like. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to go watch Made in Manhattan or something. I was like, what's the like equivalent of this? Like, what is like my best friend's wedding? Anything <laughs> yeah. Julia Roberts is in. <laughs> I mean, anything. She's coming out with a new one with George Clooney. You know. And uh, I mean, really. Genre is a promise to the audience, and it did it deliver? Yes, I think I think the film, as much as when, when we talk about, you know, why didn't it perform, there's going to be a lot of, like, blame on the marketing. I think the marketing told you exactly what the movie was. I, I don't think anyone would walk out of that movie being shocked, being like, I did not expect that movie from the trailer, from the genre, from who it, who's yeah. in it, like. Um, no, and, and I saw it, I just saw it yesterday and there was probably 40 people. It is a beautiful, like sunny fall, New England Saturday. Like, so it was like one o'clock on a Saturday and it was 40 people and all like seemed genuinely pleased with the film. Like, I think it just, I don't know, I mean, yeah, I we had a preview. Series? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we had a preview and lots of people came to it and really like enjoyed it. And it was actually interesting because there was a lot of like like lesbians there and like, well, gay guys and, you know, kind of across the spectrum of people. And um, everyone was like laughing their heads off in the theater when we had the preview. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean for me, it's like it was... I thought it was funny and cute, a little kind of like kind of long winded, to be <laughs> honest, and like too much of the two guys. Like, uh, but when he was kind of working with the comedy, um, I thought that that was very successful part of the movie. Allegra. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I laughed. I, um, I brought my daughter who loved it and laughed a lot. And um, it was it was sweet but it and it was a a rom-com um like for what it was i think it was great we also had a preview um and you know we filled like 1400 seats like people (laughs) came out to see it and they enjoyed it and they had a good time and of course we can critique it because it it, it, they they didn't make a perfect movie but I, i don't think that has any bearing on why it didn't perform um, there are issues within the film that are problematic. Like it is a very cis white male uh, uh, film, and it is operating in a genre that's incredibly heteronormative. Whether whether or not there are two men in, in the in the lead roles, it, it, it's a structure that um, that we just have seen over and over and over again. You know the the nerdy the nerdy guy. <laughs> The, the nerdy person uh, teaches the beautiful person that there's so much more to life and is strong for being ugly or something. And like they fall in love and everything is okay. <laughs> and then so and the, uh, all of the supporting characters, like the lesbian is always a joke. Um, the, the trans women of color are really just there to like prop up his and make his neuroses okay. Like, and there's like a declarative. As a trans woman of color, but I was like, well, hey, where's the big flag? As yeah. a trans woman of color, I know about my ra- about rage. I yeah, actually, yeah. I was like, I yeah, okay, I know about rage. That was good. <laughs> and weirdly, it felt as though he knew what he was doing and then still yeah. did it because it was like yeah. the critique of the film is also baked into the film. It, it's, it's just yeah. it's right. really interesting. See, yeah, I really got that vibe. So I will say, I thought Bros was a good movie. I think it anticipated a lot of the critique and tried to incorporate that anticipation into the mm-hmm. film, but ultimately didn't yeah. didn't subvert what what it thought it was going to get critiqued for. 
But I think it, it, it would have been a stronger film if it was 30 minutes shorter and didn't yeah. try to get ahead of the hot takes and just made the movie with two white guys falling in love. Like there are plenty of really good movies about two white guys falling in love and you can you can pick them apart for the privilege within them. But like within the world of the film, it works. And I think trying to bring in too much of that anticipation, ultimately you can't you can't escape that. But I think Allegra, the really, really interesting thing you just said is that all of this was baked into the movie and we all got what we expected and all of that. But it doesn't this I want to go back to what I was afraid of and why I was afraid from the beginning of this year and what has played itself out in this disastrous performance at the box office. Disastrous is a strong word. I'm sure it'll do fine once it is you know all over the world and on streaming however these economics are figured out which jared pointed out we have no idea um but you know my fear is that we've simply entered into a period where putting a movie onto a lot of screens like that um you know without it being black panther and huge cgi is simply a death knell it doesn't matter what we critique the movie. It doesn't matter if we tweak the marketing. It doesn't matter if we say that there should have been bigger stars. There are not, no bigger gay stars. That's the whole point. There are no gay movie stars. This film was a baked in disaster. And from an economic point of view, which is what I was assuming. So uh, from the beginning and assumed was gonna come get us all in our careers and, and all in the thing. So, you know, um, I think that simply, and then I'm going to get everybody their points on that, but I want to start with Jared, which is, I think the theatrical model in the post-pandemic and the streaming environment that we live in is essentially a DOA anyway. So whatever way we want to tweak it, we've entered into an era where it's not really going to work. Um so I know what we can argue this topic forever, which we shouldn't, because there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of things, but everybody should have a saying to that. So Jared, you next, because you said the most interesting thing on this topic I've heard in a while, which is not going to go for a long time, but really corporations are willing to lose that money for now for a, as a marketing as a because certainly they are all in with their PC-ness, right? <laughs> Hollywood is in. We want the gay people to be oh happy. <laughs> so um go, Jared. What do you think? What's the main reason it underperformed? Um, so I said Bros is a good movie. Bros was not a great movie. Um, I told 30 or 40 people to go see everything everywhere all at once. Word of mouth coming into bros, like what I had heard from my network was, it's good, it's fine. And mm -hmm. it was, I got it the same day I got my monkeypox booster. I did my queer duty twice that day. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when I was texting with James, um, you know, and I was like, oh, have you seen bros yet? And he goes, oh, I really want to see Barbarian. Everyone I know is talking about Barbarian. Low budget, like barely marketed horror film, fantastic word of mouth. I think for you know, the state of cinema and the theatrical release right now is anything that's not a Marvel or a Star Wars movie is going to flop. Films do beat the odds. They have to be a phenomenal film to beat the odds. Bros was good. It didn't make the cut for beating the odds. Yeah, that makes sense. Allegra, what do you think? Why did it underperform? I'm, I went to you because you're in that San Francisco market. Man, it's fucking tough to make shit work in San Francisco. So. It's brutal. Nobody is going to the cinema. Like nobody is going to the, the theater at all. They just are not. And I think it, I don't think that it underperformed. They created unrealistic expectations for this film. Like, yeah. like you're saying, it, it's a fine film. They're, they're, it's fine. But they, they, A, there's nothing about it that says I need to see this in the theater. Like yeah. I need the theatrical experience for this. There's just nothing that, that pulls you like that uh and so i just think they set unrealistic unrealistic expectations that that were were completely unachievable in this like sort of post-pandemic um I, not that the pandemic is over but in this moment of like yeah. people are staying at home like that is a movie that i would if i had to weigh it out like do i want to go wear a mask for two hours or do i want to watch this in my jammies i would it's kind of a jammy movie, which is also very funny because 
he was in in the film he's like laying on the couch watching you've got mail it's like that's where you yeah. watch your rom-com <laughs> yeah. like that's kind of totally oh that's an awesome watch it film. yeah um kathleen yeah. why'd you think it underperformed how's theatrical in seattle <laughs> well i mean i think the whole thing with rom-coms is is what allegra just said like people want to now and why they're underperforming in general is because people just want to like since the pandemic want to watch it at home in their bed like do i what do i want to do like i mean except for going to my queer film festival <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like of course you know like i just want to like you know at the end of the day relax and watch on my small screen you know but i don't want to encourage that because i want people to go out to movies um but i think that and also i didn't really like the trailer like i saw the trailer in the theater and um when i was actually going to see a film and i was like oh like like I thought it was kind of boring the trailer to be honest um so and it you know had a couple jokes in it that were funny but I didn't really get the whole like thing from the trailer and I mean trailers are really important um so and that and then the advertising I don't know like the poster with their backs and you know I I mean Okay. I don't know. I loved like, driving around LA and seeing men grab the ass all over LA. Oh yeah, okay, very good. Corner. Um, okay, so James. <laughs> but you're asking me the question. I know, so. I know, I got it. It was good <laughs> answer, James. Why do you, why do you think it? Why do you think we're all saying it underperformed? Well, you know, the thing I I I, I know I try to think about what their their plan was, and I, I sort of. You know, it's October. There's tons of horror films are being released. So I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. we're it's counter programming. There's, a, I think there's another, um, not Disney, but like another sub animation company just released a, an animated film that's supposed to be like the family film. So you're trying, you see them being like, oh, it's counter programming. It's like a date film versus a horror film. Like, not, but I'm like, I think it ignores the fact that horror films are like huge. Like everyone is just going to go see horror film. Like it is yeah. fucking October. Like you know life like i think our culture is just like right now everyone just wants to go see horror films and be scared because you know whatever the world is being um and i think it's like it it was a i understand why they thought this is like a nice little curve like we'll plop it in it'll be great you know it'll be the date movie because everyone else is going to go see horror films but i think it just sort of misread the market too and be like and i don't i don't i don't feel like their rollout was like well done either like i don't know if they they didn't do i mean do a couple of queer festivals like i don't understand why yeah. they didn't just do like a preview at frame i like to like build like that's word of mouth like it's like ignoring the role that festivals play in and be like oh no like i feel like you know what if you had actually like played to the gay market and done a couple of queer festivals and like you probably would have gotten the gays out because they'd have been like yeah we saw this it's, it was at frame line. like it's like it's it would be a thing and I think it was just a missed opportunity. Like they, they, they thought they had a bigger product than they really did. Okay, awesome. So that lets me pivot to can, the. Right. Can so, I ask James a question really quick too? Because I want to pick up something that Allegra said, and I, it makes my brain itch because I was in film school long ago, long enough ago. I don't remember this. So wasn't there a phase, James? I'm going to ask you because you're the film historian of the group. Like when TV came out, that like when film studios were making like Cleopatra because they were trying to make these spectacles to get people out of their homes. Did that work? What happened with that? Like, I remember that's why they were making those movies, but like TV also kind of still came and ate their lunch, right? Cleopatra's probably not the best example because it almost bankrupted the studio and like (laughs) over like, like... yeah, it was a failure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was like CinemaScope and these like big epics that you had to see on the big screen. It, it ended the studio system. I mean, like they tried to like compensate by just making bigger and bigger and, you know, stupider and stupider films, like, <laughs> like throw more money at it and make it better. And then it collapsed because, you know, you're not going to win. It also was like, I mean, it's a more complicated that because also the rise of the Vietnam War, more people stayed home to watch the news because everybody was like, you know, shit was going on. So. So yeah, this is where I think it's really important this conversation goes because we all again work in this area. So right now I feel like representation is not our issue. Our issue is community. And the thing that I um, am just worried about in general for cinema and everything 
is that, yeah, we'll never leave our houses again. And after pandemic, <laughs> two years of being alone, I do think there is a fundamental need for humans to be together, right? <laughs> so I, um, I, I do think that our festival world is probably in position to be okay, right? Because this is a more of a chance I know everyone's shaking different heads and I, I'm a little worried in San Francisco. I'm not going to lie, Allegra. <laughs> I think it's a little different in a lot of different, a lot of places all over the world, right? You know, I think about Southeast Asia. I think about Latin America. I think about, you know, Eastern Europe, places where there's intense desires um, for these things and not such a, you know, economic nightmare like you have there. <laughs> um, so, but going, going to that, because yeah, let's go to you next, is... I think the importance is not so much representation as community right now um, and making better movies. I'm, I'm psyched for movies I actually like a lot, important. But what's the role of the indie in all this? So all of us come from a time, whether we meant to or not, there wasn't queer representation in anything but indies, right? So at least positive. So. Uh, where do you see, what does indie even mean to you right now? And what do you see as, um, what can indies do in this place? What are our, what are, you know, what, what, and what is the role of uh, not, and being outside of the big six, I'm never going to be part of the big six. What is the role of everybody else? Like, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, the big six are going to make bros. I, like I, I realize, it, it, like it is a queer creator, and I'm, I, and like I applaud all of that. But they're going to make bros because that's what they know how to do. And they, like we said earlier, they are speaking. To, they're they're speaking to straight people. They yeah. they they are. And I I, I uh, echo what Jared has said. Like it, it is a form. I think it is a form of virtue signaling. Um, this this sort of um proliferation of queer cinema out in 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 the world um so i think yeah the role of the the indie is still to push the art form forward and like i don't think we're okay with representation um yeah, whatever so that means like gay white men we might be pretty okay with representation oh. but like i don't think we're we're fully there yet like i mean what was the last uh, lesbian film directed by a woman uh, besides Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Uh, like, wh where where's the last one that we've seen uh, reach these kind of heights? Um, so I, right. I, 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 I think it was The Kids Are All Right, the Lisa Cholendenko film. <laughs> yeah, I think that, it was. Yeah, yeah. that was, yeah. <laughs> I lesbian representation is abysmal <laughs> yeah, like, like really worst. abysmal in mainstream like cinema and indie cinema and cinema yeah i yeah. think lesbian films it's might really bad have been worse in this current place and uh you know whatever economic oppression of women that's leading to let that's ex being more extreme with lesbian women i know in my company a lesbian film has to be barely serviceable for me to take it because I can because the good one is uh, so hard to find um, unless it's in the, you know, there are the, there's the idea it might cross over to straight people, right? Because lesbian, sexy for straight men, but the actual lesbian feature. So Kathleen, let's talk, talk, talk about lesbian features for just a moment. <laughs> Why? <laughs> what do you want me to say? There are know. many. I mean, I there Does are any... some indie ones. There are some indie ones, but yeah. <laughs> Does anybody have hope for that? Allegra, the other are... thing, I the other the <laughs> other thing, I think there is a real lack of also uh, BIPOC made films as well. Like, I mean, I you know, you watch six hundred films, and there's a, quite a lot of shorts, uh, BIPOC shorts. But when you when it comes to features, like it's really it's difficult. It's difficult to find um, the BIPOC made like like from you know. No, I mean you can have BIPOC representation, but I often will not be BIPOC or cutie BIPOC um, uh, produced or directed. So 
so yeah, so just that's also something that is really like lacking in representation too. I mean, that's in within the indie festival world, but then you think about it in the mainstream world, that is absolutely the case. So let's let's plug for Elegance and Chester's film, The Inspection. Yes. Coming up. But yeah, I mean, apparently at the end of the day, we're starting out, wow, there's an explosion, but then we're back to, oh, actually we're in really bad trouble. So remember, <laughs> remember this like pendulum I've been on and the scary thing, there's gonna be none, there's so much. I actually know when I go to sit down and wanna watch a show and wanna see a queer show, most of the time I'm like, shit, there's still nothing to watch. So I don't think it's it's an explosion. Uh, Jared, what do, what do you think? Indies, you're an indie filmmaker trying to make- um, Look, so I I fall into the trap of indies are the only hope and there's there's really no hope in indies for, for exactly that reason. Like indies are what are gonna push the art form forward because the studio only knows how to make studio products and those are always going to be less formally inventive challenging of culture like and i think you need independence to do that that said cinema has the problem is it costs a lot of fucking money to make a movie so either you need one of the big six to pony up a, a lot of money or you need high network individuals whether it is your parents or their network or whatever and who are high net worth individuals they tend to follow the same patterns of power we see in the rest of culture it's white people it's men and they're going to invest in films that reflect their experience and so like indies are also no hope because indies you need to raise a ton of money and you're going to raise the people who are going to succeed at that race so the people who are going to succeed at everything else in our culture yeah, I think I think we're back at the place where there are three things queer people can do to make movies: sex work, marry rich, or be born rich, right? So, which in some that's never it's never actually been different. Um, so, James Hope in the indie world, see an indie film you like recently? <laughs> um, you know, I'm not. I surprisingly, I'm not going to be the cynical one here, and I think that's. Um, looking at my students who who want to make film and the stories they want to tell i think it's i mean i i it's funny it's one of those things where i look and i follow obviously i follow cheryl dunyay having known her for ever and be like you know when her film came out no one like a black lesbian film really who cares right and to look at like the arc of her career you know, and I show her film to my students and they're just like blown away. Like her yeah. and, and Rose Trochet, like go fish. I was like, people made the films. They're like, fuck it. We're going to make the film that we want to see. And I think yeah. I look at my students and I feel like, I mean, they're going to do it. And they're going to make the stories and they'll yeah. they'll climb up the system. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, Cheryl Denny is like so insanely successful now. It's just like, you know, that's the path. Yeah. And it's easy to be really cynical. And, it's, and yeah, I mean, the system sucks. It's like any fucking industry. It's just bullshit. Um, but, you know, you have the story to tell. And, you know, a story no one's ever seen. Like, we've all been there where you watch a film and you're like, holy fuck. Like, I've never seen this story. Like, <laughs> or these actors. I was like, this is a fucking... Like, and so I have hope. I always have hope. Because you don't want to, like, be cynical about it. You want to, like, find that film that's just going to blow your mind. I mean, I can't think of a better way for us to start to wrap up. So the, I am going to ask a question for everybody. So we'll probably figure out how to post this in the chats, as they say, which sounds <laughs> ridiculous to me what I say. But I'm hoping people listen to this and want to know more about queer cinema and want to get, you know, get involved with queer cinema and all of that. And that we can encourage a lot of more indie voices and all of that. Um, plus keep the jaded old queens happy too. Uh, so, uh, let's go around and say some of your favorite movies of queer cinema so that people can, so we can all know where each other's coming from. We don't know each other's tastes really. Um, and also people can watch them. So I, I, before I say this, I want you to know, I've been around long enough that now every single time I meet a 25 year old gay person queer person they say 
you work in queer cinema, tell me some gay movies that are actually good. Okay, they say that to me and I get brain fog. I'm so angry and nervous at the same time. <laughs> right? I, it's like such a high stakes question. So um, who wants to go first? Volunteer, volunteer. Yikes. Okay, see, scary. I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first because I, I I'll go first because I cheated. Um so I sat down to think, uh, what are some of my favorite queer films? And I actually just walked over to my bookshelf and I was like, okay, if I liked it enough to actually buy a physical copy of oh. it, then I loved it. And I have six fantastic queer films sitting on my bookshelf. Um, BPM, Malanoche, Beautiful Laundrette, Weekend, Brokeback Mountain, and Undertow. Wow. Those, oh my God, I love all those films. Those are amazing. <laughs> four of those are four of those are my films. Yay me. Those, those, those are films that stirred me enough to actually like plunk down to make sure that whatever streaming rights flaps somewhere, I can always watch this film. So that's how old, that's how young old Jared is. He actually thinks it's a big deal to buy a movie because he's thinking about streaming rights. Uh, we didn't always have those. <laughs> um, okay, Allegra, what's what brought you into this? What are your favorite favorites? Well, all right, before I go to my favorite favorites, I, ju I just want to shout out Anything's Possible, uh, directed by Billy Porter about mm -hmm. a trans, uh, trans girl of color. Um, just in line with the conversation we were having before uh, about representation and BIPOC mm -hmm. representation. And um, I think that actually is a really revolutionary movie yeah. wrapped in like a whole teen candy coating thing that, um, uh, yeah, I think is actually really impressive. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, obviously, because what good lesbian wouldn't put that first? <laughs> um, uh what, am I, what else um heavenly creatures who wouldn't put that um oh, yes. looking for langston um i uh hunger because it's going to be its uh, nice. 40th anniversary and i love david bowie um i'm even gonna my own private idaho because like it, that it really affected me when i saw it in the theater as a kid um Moonlight, um, Desert Hearts. Yay. Um, I'm okay, I think that was enough. <laughs> Wait, Allegra, you might be a little older than I thought you were. <laughs> no, no, I just like movies. <laughs> you saw I just always like, what's that? <laughs> well, gosh, you did not see Desert Hearts in the theater. Maybe, maybe. Private Idaho, Desert Hearts, I just saw as a, like, I need a lesbian content. Right, but my own private Idaho, I think I saw like I was, <laughs> 21 so yeah maybe you're closer to my age than i thought uh kathleen oh my god i have so many i can't even oh, like my head yeah. explodes but, but um like okay like happy together um i have pariah lilies john grayson's lilies i absolutely love when night is falling um it's one of my all-time favorite lesbian films um, high art, I love high art. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, Moonlight. Well, I, I had Desert Hearts. Oh my God, there are just so many, so 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 many. <laughs> I really like Rafiki. All right, Jay. Really like right now. I'll 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 go last, just because we're playing it that way so far. Uh, oh my God. Um, the one I kept going through, and I don't know if you, anybody remembers this film, it was an Italian lesbian film called Gasoline. Where oh my God, I love that dead. film. I totally remember that film. That's such a good it's film. It's one of my favorite films forever because they, the, the mother's dead and they put her body in the back of the truck and they go off on a, like a road trip. It's like the craziest and they're all really hot. Italian. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Gasoline is one of my favorite films ever. Um, Edward II, um, The Living End, uh, um, Beautiful Things, um, and uh, We Were Here, which I played for my class last semester, and everybody was like bawling their eyes out by the end of the movie. So, yeah. 
I don't know. We didn't talk about docs, but I threw a doc in there. Yeah, okay, uh, I, I think we're gonna have to do docs another topic. Yeah, but I put some docs. Yeah, for sure. On my list, and I want to say some of the docs I think are really important on my list because if I hadn't watched those, I wouldn't know what queer culture was. So, mm -hmm. like, yeah. in a lot of ways, like queer cinema also is what taught me what queer culture is. So I have to have docs. So I'm gonna go Law of Desire, Amadovar, Weekend. <laughs> Brokeback Mountain, Ang Lee, Paris is Burning, Jenny Livingston, Call Me By Your Name, mm. Celluloid Closet, Before Stonewall by Greta Schiller. And yeah, I got to go We Were Here also. We Were Here was like when I saw it at Sundance. I mean, I did work on the movie, but when I saw it at Sundance, it was so, I was so devastated after the movie that anybody talking to me, I wanted to like kill them. I was like, stop talking about mundane things. <laughs> <laughs> Bound, bound. bound. Oh, <laughs> I had I had so many essays about bound. Like that was when I had that in my queer film class. Like I would say ten out of ten out of twenty students wrote about bound. And then I'm gonna throw Carell in there, the Fassbender film, because uh, it's just a meditation on anal sex. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I think going forward, you know, there's five of us. We'll we'll pick more topics. Other people can lead, but I think this was awesome. You're all super fucking smart. And um, Jared, you make sure we get those in the chats. Like everybody give Jared their list and we'll, oh. we'll do that. And I don't know what even getting in the chats is. Oh. Figure it all out. And we'll have to come up with the title.